Hi, I'm Tracy Malone, and this is Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. In this episode, you will hear from Mel Fleming from Connecting with Horses and Riding with Synchronicity. Mel has been lucky enough to spend her life around horses. Her family were well-known horse people and she was able, through hard work and support from her family, to go through the ranks of the horse world and work at a high level of dressage to the highest level of natural horsemanship where she worked internationally with Pat and Linda Pirelli, among many other internationally renowned trainers. Mel is one of those people who keeps asking questions. She never settles for less. It seems she needs to go deep and make sure the horse is all right on every level as her deep need to connect fully with the horse and make a true partnership comes before the end performance result she is seeking. This is what has taken Mel all over the world, developing her skills as she goes, the need to find someone who has the answers to her questions. In asking these questions, Mel has been able to form her own style of horsemanship. On her website, she says, I think that true horsemanship is horsemanship from the horse's perspective. What would horses call horsemanship and who would horses call a horseman? True horsemanship means putting yourself in the horse's skin, seeing things through their eyes, thinking how they are thinking and feeling how they are feeling, going beyond merely perceiving them as prey animals and knowing the individual beings or the spirits that they are. In equal proportion to understanding the spirit of who horses are, true horsemanship also means understanding their physical bodies so they can be ridden with true balance and healthy biomechanics. This is the only way that the ridden horse can stay sound be healthy, be calm, and yet responsive. Enjoy their work and maximize their performance. This is what connecting with horses and riding with synchronicity strives to achieve. Mel has the ability and the formula to go deep into each horse and help build a bond between horse and rider that is strong and because of the biomechanics element, lasting and sound. This is Mel's story so far. Welcome, Mel. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for the opportunity. Mel, what is it that you do? I teach horsemanship, um, but it's looking at horsemanship from a a different perspective, Um, looking at it from a a spiritual and emotional aspect of the horse as well as the, the physical. What is the spiritual and emotional aspect of a horse? Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, I believe just like humans, horses have a soul, a spirit, you know, the essence of their of their being. Um, they have a life purpose. They have... They, they feel all the emotions that, that humans do. You know, they can feel happy, sad, resentful, angry, guilty, fearful. So, you know, basically a sentient being. So looking at that emotional aspect of them, looking deeper into who they really are at that 
spiritual and, and emotional level, like the deepest aspect of them, rather than just the physical aspect of what they can do. Mm. And you'd have to be treating them as a complete individual to be looking that deep. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And you teach on the ground and in the saddle? Yeah, I think it definitely needs to start on the ground. But, and, you know, even before we start doing things on the ground, it's just about learning how to connect with them and to, to sense them, um, to start to tune into them or feel them energetically and emotionally, which a lot of people never even consider. You know, and I also think that as kids, you know, very small, young kids, a lot of people did have that ability to sense animals. Um, you know, like they might have said, you know, mummy, I think my dog's, I think the dog's sad or the dog's wants to come inside because he's lonely or something like that. And it sort of gets knocked out of them, um, because the adults are sort of like, no, don't be so silly. What animals don't feel that, um, they're fine. Mm. So it's like trying to take people back to that deeper level of, of sensing and feeling, a more intuitive level of, connecting yeah understanding animals at that level fantastic and what kind of a difference does that make to us as horse people and to the horses and the connection everything <laughs> well first of all i think probably as a small child i had that connection i've always had animals around me my whole life but I also think that I was an example of someone where that got sort of knocked out of um, because you just, you know, you just get told, well, that's, that's silly and, you know, that's not how things are and then, you you know, you watch animals get, you know, killed for, for meat and all that sort of stuff growing on the farm and it's like you just harden yourself to not look at animals in that way. Um but anyway, but, but what happened for me, how I, that started to come back was I, I always worked with a lot of difficult horses, horses that other people couldn't get on with. And it got to a point where techniques, and I was pretty good at techniques because I'd done a lot of training with a lot of, um, you know, experienced horse people. And anyway, the, the techniques just didn't work out. There's a point where they just wouldn't work. And when I started to connect in or sense the horses at that deeper level, I noticed those horses started to change. And it's, it's a hard thing to explain, but it's like I started to feel the inside of the horse. An interesting thing, Tom Dorrance, some people might have heard of him, he's sort of like a grandfather of the natural horsemanship movement, but... He, in his book, he talks about, you know, the inside of a man's got to connect with the inside of the horse, but I think not many people really understand what that really is or how you would ever really do that. But mm. it's like that's what started to happen for me with some of these difficult horses. And the thing is it would happen when I was like at that point of absolute despair because nothing's working and you've got no solutions and you just you get into a different place in your mind, in your emotions, I guess, but sometimes that's where you need to get to take you to a place of looking deeper. And 
then it's like I started to sense or feel the inside of the horse. The interesting thing was that I, the horse recognised instantly something in the horse changed. The horse knew that I was feeling something deeper in them. It's like I might have started to feel the sadness or the anger or the resentment that they were carrying, um, which was uh, the underlying issue behind their behavioural issue. Mm-hmm. It's when, when they felt that I could um, what's the word, have an awareness or it's like relate or to them at that level. It's like acknowledge, that, that's the word I look for, acknowledge what was really going on for them rather than just going through the motions of trying to you know, train them or get things done. So like things started to shift and I could see that horse change. Wow. I had a particular horse, his name's Helium, I still have him, that he was one of the he was one of the most challenging horses that I worked with and yeah, I remember just walking beside him and Breathing and imagine, trying to imagine that if I was inside his skin, inside his body, what would it feel like to be inside him? And what was his issue? You say he was a difficult horse. He had a lot. Fear was his main thing, but he would. He had a history of bucking. Like he was really extremely. Yeah, like when he when he first was tried to get broken in would buck very extremely and explosively. Yeah. Yeah, and basically he was just scared of everything all around him. But, but I, I'd, I'd always at the point, and, and I personally didn't do the initial starting of, of that horse. Someone else had him at that time and did that, but he became my um, horse to work with later on. But he still had a lot of fear issues and... It's like he just couldn't turn loose and really relax. It was always impulsive and rushing around. And mm. Just didn't relax in, in anything. In, you know, it's like everything that you try to do with him was, was a challenge, a lot of brace and resistance. Um, but the, other, the interesting thing was that when he started, when I started to connect in with him and at this deeper level, his physical body started changing and transforming. He changed from um, sort of the ugly duckling, uncoordinated, sort of all-out proportion horse, and he started his whole body. So everything in him changed. So his physical body started to transform when his mind and his emotions started to, to change. And... How is it that you were able to change his emotion? So you would walk next to him, you would feel what he was feeling, and was it just that you'd you'd acknowledge that and he could recognise that you understood him, or was it more than that? That was the start of it. I think he, well, that that's the start of things. It's not the own. It's not the be all and end all, it's not the whole answer to the picture, but that was enough to start making a big shift in him at that time and it was a big lesson for me to even, it's like the horses teach us more than we're ever really going to teach them. So even though I didn't have all the answers then, he started to change a lot because he was showing me that I was on the right path. So that path has developed and, and evolved. 
a lot further than that now. But you know, back then, so this is like I don't know, 16 years ago, maybe something like that. He just that there was that was just his way of of showing me that yeah, this is where you need to be going. There's a deeper level of things you need to look at. It's not just about going through all these techniques that you've been taught. It's not the answer. Fantastic. And we will um, we'll come back to a bit more of that. But where did horses start for you? Did you grow up with horses? Yeah, from when I was about seven. I was born in, in town and we didn't have any horses, but I remember always wanting to go and pat any horses I ever saw. <laughs> but anyway, when I was seven, I moved to the farm and um, we, had, we had horses there that we my grandfather used for stock work, so we used to go out and double, yeah, double behind him and go out muster cattle and stuff like that. Great. And I believe when you were 17, you started as a professional as a, and horses were your career. Yeah. What was it that you did then? Um, when I first left school, I got a job working on an Andalusian stuff and I was starting making in horses um, on the saddle. And did they teach you there at the Andalusian Stud how to break them in or was that something you'd learnt during your teenage years at home? Yeah, that's something that I'd already learned. My, my great-auntie and great-uncle were very well-known horsemen and women. In school holidays when I was a kid, my sister and I used to go and spend time with them. So they... What was their um, name? What is um, Bob Riley and... Beryl Riley Chip was their name, so a brother and sister. Beryl's actually still alive. She's about 93 or 94. Wow. So anyway, so they were very um, yeah, influential in my early learning, so that's what gave me the experience to be able to go and, um, yeah, start work at that job on the Andalusian stuff. The other thing I did there was I started doing competition because I would ride their horses, also show them in, in dressage and um, the Andalusian shows and did some jumping and venting me. Yeah, that's the start of my horsemanship career. Great. And when you were starting horses, when you first learned, what type of methods did you use? Oh, that's a good question. Well, when I look back at it now, I didn't really know much at all about what I was doing, but anyway, somehow you managed to get it done. <laughs> yeah. just, it's just a bit of learning and evolving on the job. Uh, learning on the job and evolving, I mean. Mm. But I certainly didn't have the, yeah, the level of understanding and communication and sort of more systematic way of of learning them. I basically just, you know, did things that I'd learned off my auntie and my uncle, but I was pretty experienced, but sometimes you just... Mm. And we're very fearless at that age too. We seem to be around that those late teens, early 20s, you know, you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. You bounce if you do come off. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're willing to try a few more different yeah. things. And from there, did you... 
travel the world at all with your training? Where did you go after that Andalusian stud? After I was at the end, well, sort of while I was there, I was having a lot of um, dressage lessons and um, I got invited to go and train with some of the, well, some dressage riders that were representing Australia at that, that time, sort of international level trainers. So I went down to Sydney, worked down there. and Who was that with? Lennis Scott Barry. At that time, so I was there for a while. And then I moved to another place that bred Appaloosas and Hornblades, and they were focused on eventing and, and jumping. So you know, worked there for a couple of years. Yeah, got took a lot of young horses out their first eventing experiences. And from there, I got invited to work for Ricky McMillan. She was dressage rider in Australia. So I moved up to the Gold Coast and I worked with her for three years and that was really great experience. I learned a lot more about dressage there and competed up to advanced level in dressage and I had the experience of riding um, one of her retired Grand Prix horses as a schoolmaster. So yeah, I got to experience all the Grand Prix dressage movements. Wow. So from there, I got interested in natural horsemanship. And what was it that led you from dressage to natural horsemanship? I don't see that as a normal step. On all the places that I'd worked, I had a lot of questions, especially in regards to the starting of horses and handling the young horses and stallions, weaning and handling the foals. Like I just didn't feel... I was getting enough answers. I didn't feel happy with you know, how that was happening. I wasn't getting good answers for, you know, how do you trailer load or float load a horse that doesn't load or the horse that doesn't want to get shot or the horse that doesn't want to stop bucking. It's all those sort of problem areas. It's like even though I was working with some of the best people I could find in Australia, I just didn't feel I was getting answers for those sorts of things. So... So, yeah, that's what got me looking into natural horsemanship. We seem to be offering, you know, information about problem horses and horses. Great. So that was still in Australia, was it? Who was that with? Well, I started um, in Australia at a Pirelli clinic and then I got invited by... Pat Pirelli to go and study with him in America. So I I did that and that turned into a 12-year sort of really program, but but 12-year connection where I worked closer with, with Pat and Linda Pirelli and I spent a lot of time out of that 12 years in America with them. Did you get your questions answered? At the time, I thought I did. At the, the my experience with them, which I'm very appreciative of, I felt like I was learning a lot there, which is why I stayed there. But towards the end of that time, I started asking a lot more questions because I started to see there was a lot more deeper things going on than what I was learning in, in the natural horsemanship. 
probably two main areas that I started to really question. One was the well, it's probably it could be it's probably three areas really. One was the spiritual and the emotional connection with horses because once I started to discover that how horses change when we connect in at that deeper level, I knew there was a lot more going on than just the simple prey animal predator relationship, which is what most natural relationships based on. Mm. Now I don't think about horsemanship in that way at all of, you know, the, the horse is perceiving us as a predator and they're a prey animal and they're designed to have opposition reflex or resistance to us because I see it completely differently. It's like two spiritual beings and that the horse is designed to be with humans because they're trying to teach humans a lot. It's just looking at everything at a whole, whole deeper level. So anyway, so that, that was one aspect, just seeing the deeper emotions and spiritual aspects of things. Mm-hmm. Another one was um, I started to, well, I had some learning with ladies from England who make a saddle called the Balance Saddle. I promote or offer people the opportunity to test ride in Australia because it's the best saddle that I've ever come across. They had a great understanding of biomechanics for horses and how horses need to, needed to move in their body to be happy and to be healthy, um, to be comfortable. And they were able to explain things or show me things that no one else ever had, even with all the dressage training that I'd had. And... When I understood that, I understood the importance of how horses needed to move with correct biomechanics and, and use their body. And because before I sort of thought, oh, yeah, that's only really important if you want to do dressage or hacking where you get judged on, you know, how the horse looks, what frame they're in. Mm. But when on my learning with them, I realised that their actual health and well-being, so, you know, when the horse's posture was correct, the way all the internal organs are positioned in the body is affected. And if, if the posture is incorrect or the body's in a state of, of tension, it actually um, compromises the internal organs, which is then it's going to compromise the health and the well-being of the horse. So that, you know, opened up a whole another avenue to explore and to realise the importance of, you know, how horses were in their bodies and how they were used. And it didn't matter whether it was just a trail riding horse or a pleasure horse, you know, what was going on in their their bodies, how they used their bodies, how they were being ridden was really important. Yeah, and if you think about it for yourself, you know, you can do, you know, if your favourite thing is going for a walk every day, um, then that's great and it's something you really enjoy. And horses, I'm sure, have things that they enjoy but if you've got an injury or you're walking with a bit of a limp or, you know, if you've got a bag on your back that's a bit out of balance, it's not going to be enjoyable. So that's really quite logical when I think about it, the biomechanics. Yeah. And it's something that a lot of people don't want their horses to be in pain, but I think, you know, there's there's so much more to be done around that education-wise with the biomechanics and how we hold ourselves and how they hold themselves. Absolutely. It's a it's a very big area that there's just a lack of information, a lot of misunderstanding about 
because you know when a horse uses its body with correct biomechanics, it's like an advanced maneuver is relatively easy and effortless, and you can do it, you know, for a long time without getting too tired. But if you, if they do something with the incorrect um, biomechanics, everything's much more stressful and straining and tiring, and it feels hard. It feels awkward. You know, in the clinics we do little simulations, and people very quickly realise, you know, you know, you just get to do something simple, like pick up a chair and hold it. If you hold it in close to your body and imbalance, you're like, yeah, how long do you want me to hold it for? Get them to hold it, their arms extended out in front of them, and they're like, how soon do I can I put this down? Mm. So it's really just shows people how much difference that being in a state of balance, which is what biomechanics is trying to based on how much difference that's going to make to the horse's comfort and therefore enjoyment and therefore willingness and lack of resistance to do what we want. And ability to listen. If I'm in pain, I don't hear very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I'm in any kind of discomfort, listening is not something that, um, not one of my senses that is certainly alert at that time. Yeah, or you're just not even interested or willing to participate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what was the third thing? So you had spiritual, biomechanics, and what was the third? Well, I started to see how many physical issues horses had in their bodies, which was restricting them from doing things. So physical issues, you know, it could be like back soreness, hock soreness, feet. Any, any soreness in the body. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of physical stuff going on in the horses that most people don't even recognise because, you know, it doesn't, they might not look lame, okay, but they just, for example, they've just got no physical energy. Mm-hmm. So they're just tired and lethargic. Now that can be because they've just been exhausted and drained or they've just been running on adrenaline their whole life or it can be because they're getting fed food that their body can't uh, utilise and it just locks up the body and they can feel massage or it can, you know, do the opposite and they're just sort of hyper and reactive and hot and can't can't think um, and get really impulsive. But, you know, a lot of what I started to see was a lot of times that was getting put down to, oh, well, they're lazy or they're a short horse or they're just disrespectful. That's why they don't have impulsion, but it's a physical issue. Mm. So a lot of things that was getting labelled, yeah, as just a behavioural issue, I started to see that yeah, that was coming from a, a physical thing. You know, there's tightness or tension in, in muscles or so I just started to see that a lot of their behavioural issues were based on a physical physical thing that was undetected. Mm. And can I just clarify the difference between biomechanics and physical issues? So biomechanics is the way that we move, is that correct? Or the way Yeah, way they're very related. So it's in some ways it's hard to separate them. But the reason I talk about it in two separate ways is the biomechanics, yes, I think of that as that's the way they move. Do they do their body function and move in a way that's um, most powerful or most effortless? Posture. Yeah. Yeah. 
So things that might hinder the biomechanics could be, you know, the way the rider's riding, like they're holding the reins way too short and jamming the horse's neck up. They might be clamping their knees, gripping through their thighs, and the rider's just locked up in their body. Mm -hmm. The saddle might be too tight and um, restricting the ability of the horse's muscles on their back to expand and elongate and, and move how the horse needs to move. Right. So there's a thing where we can, through our riding or the equipment we use, then we could influence how the horse is moving. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at what's the equipment we use, what's the techniques, what's the quality of our riding. Yeah. Okay, so and understanding what good movement, what correct movement in the horse his body is, and then try to influence and encourage a horse to have that quality of Great. Now, that when I talk about the physical issues a horse can have that causes behavioural issues, those behave, so those behavioural issues could be anything. The horse bucks, the horse runs off, the horse doesn't want to go, the horse goes too fast, the horse rears, the horse, you know, any sort of behavioural issue, that is also going to be affecting their posture and their biomechanics. But it's looking at it, you know, is it affected because there's some deeper thing going on in a horse or is it just because of how we're riding the equipment? That's why I try to break it into those two categories. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Great. Because the one category is, yep, it's a training thing. Yes, you come to a clinic and I can tell you, okay, put your hand here, put your leg here and pad your saddle differently or you need a different saddle. Yes. The other aspect is, okay, the horse has got some issues here. We need to go and fix those issues in the horse because it doesn't matter what saddle you use or what technique you do, the horse can't do it until we get the body right. Perfect. So now when we talk about the body, getting the body right, a lot of times that's going to go back to deeper emotional issues in the horse, which is one of the reasons why the horses have those body issues. So when the horse has got anxiety, fear, any sort of stress, the horse is holding anger or resentment, all of those emotional issues are very commonly the cause of the issues in the body. Wow. So it takes us back to that deeper emotional and spiritual level again. Mm, it's, it's, it's a cycle. Yeah, and then the other aspect which it adds, adds to it all is that a lot of the times those emotions that the horses have, they're mirroring the people around them. Mm. So they're mirroring that the, the, the person's holding anger, they're mirroring the person's holding resentment, they're mirroring or showing up the person's grief or depression. So, again, that just takes us to a whole different level of looking at, at the horsemanship. Did you learn most of these things from horses or did you learn, like you learned about the biomechanics from the makers of the balanced saddles? Were there other people who influenced you in the other, other parts of these four things? Tony Robinson, um, who I co-teach with quite a bit now, um, he was very influential in 
Yeah, and helping me to learn more about the deeper emotional and spiritual aspects of horses. I'd already started to discover it years ago, but I didn't I didn't really understand it. I didn't fully even believe it because I'm thinking, why doesn't anyone else talk about this? Like, why isn't anyone else teaching this? Mm. And I first met Tony about probably 16 years ago, maybe more. I was working with a lot of different horses, but I, in particular I had a problem also. Yeah, he'd been sent to me to be started and it wasn't going very well. <laughs> the horse... I, I actually generally wouldn't have said I believed in um, energetic or in telepathic or intuitive communication really back then, but this horse, when he got here. What was the horse's name? What type of horse is it and how old was it? Uh, he was a little quarter horse. He was probably eight years old. His name was Storm. It was like every time I was around him, I could hear these words in my head. It was going, don't ride me, don't ride me. Don't ride me. <laughs> and I remember, like I said, I didn't, wouldn't have even said back then that I even believed in animal communication or telepathic communication or anything like that. It's like I could just hear this phrase, these same words going around in my head. And I remember saying to him out loud, like I was answering you back, he said, this is what's going to happen, mate. This is what you're here for. I'm going to make it the best possible deal that I can, but this is what we need to do. He's like, don't ride, don't ride me. Wow. And anyway, I got to where I was riding him, and the first ride seemed to go pretty good. Um, I walked, trot, and candied him around and around yard on the first ride, and I usually wouldn't do that on the horse on the first ride, but things seemed to be going all right. It took me a while to get to that point where I could hop on him riding, but anyway, but we did that and riding him, and then. The next day didn't go quite as well, and the next day he didn't go quite as well. But I took him for a little ride outside out in the paddock. But anyway, it was like the fourth day, hopped on him in the round yard, and he just pinned his ears flat back, and I just very, very gently put my leg on him. I remember how gentle it was. There was nothing forceful or rude or anything. Anything about how I asked, but I just asked him to move forward. He just pinned his ears flat back and then he just sucked back and then he just bucked and just threw me through the air and spat me into the dirt. And he didn't hurt me really badly. I was hopping around for a few weeks, but, um, mm. but the, the, big, the big thing about the experience was that um, I knew he meant to do it. He wasn't scared. Mm-hmm. And I'd never had the experience of, you know, I've been bucked off plenty of horses plenty of times, but there was usually always fear. And they didn't, usually they didn't, it's like they didn't really mean to do it. They panicked, they got scared, they couldn't think they could cope. But this horse, this was different because this horse thought about it he knew what he was doing, he meant to do it. And I and normally before, you know, I would have just hold back on. You know, so everyone says well, you would just go to get back on. Mm. Um, you know, you might do whatever some groundwork or whatever you might. But anyway, the thing was that this author wasn't scared. He was angry. And I knew 
I knew don't get back on him because I thought you didn't really get hurt that bad yet, but if you hop back on him, he's going to hurt you. Yeah. Because he, he meant to do it. So I was at a loss and I didn't really know what I was going to do from there. And, um, you know, I talked to a few of my peers at the time and told them, you know, I've got the source and this is what I've done, all these things with him. And, and um, you know, they said, well, you know, there's only one thing left to do with that horse, you know, because all these different techniques. I said, you're going to have to lay him down, you know, a bit like that, um, I don't know, if you're familiar with the horse whisperer and mm. they lay the horse down and, and in natural horsemanship, it's, you know, I was even taught to do that. Um, it's like the last resort and you never want to do it unless you, there's nothing else left. And what does laying the horse down achieve? Basically, it's like the ultimate submission. It's like the horse, and the horse basically thinks he's going to die because, I mean, there's different ways you can get a horse to lay down. You can get it to lay down really uh, gently and, you know, take the time to build their confidence or there's, or you can use ropes and basically pull them down to the ground. So that's what we're talking about here because this is not the horse that you've developed a, you know, this huge partnership with that trusts you to the degree that it's going to let you lay it down, you know, it's a different deal because you're laying it down because nothing else is working because the horse doesn't have any trust in you. For, I mean, you're basically forcing the horse to the ground. And is that where the word breaking comes in? Well, partly, yeah, because breaking originates from breaking their spirit. Mm. But anyway, I had done that with a horse before and I didn't feel good about it. In the big picture of things, I didn't really feel like it worked because, yes, I did get the horse in, but I felt the horse that I did that once before, that horse had never really turned loose in its mind and its emotions and its body, and I didn't want to do it again. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I was nearly at that place of there's nothing else left. It's like, what's this horse's future? As it's probably going to end up with doggers if you don't try and get it started because what, what future is there for? So anyway, this is where Tony Robinson comes into the picture because people that he's out here treating him, does a lot of body work and body work on horses. And I happened to tell him about this horse I was having this problem with and he just said, look, you don't need to do that. He said, I'll show you some stuff. He was doing some hands-on just energy work healing um, putting your hands in and putting energy in and different points of the body. And I remember thinking, well, what's this going to do and as if I could do it? But I was so desperate for an answer, I was prepared to try anything. Mm. So I had a go. And the thing was that this horse would change when I would go and hold those energy points. Now I could feel a lot of heat just coming out of its body when I would hold those points. And... I still didn't believe it was going to work and thought I was wasting my time and I'd, that I'd go and do it because it's like the only way. To, when I did it and I'd hold these points for like 10, 15 minutes, then the horse would allow me to hop on it and I'd just sit on it there back and just go through this process of trying to sort of get its confidence and get it to allow me to ride it again. But if I went down there and just tried to do my normal horse starting techniques, there was no way, this horse like, no way in the world you're going to hop on me. 
So I go out and go, okay, I guess I'll have to do this, waste my time to stand here and hold my hands on these points. Wow. And the horse would calm down and he'd let me get on him. So again, it was like this horse was again teaching me or showing me. I didn't really know what I was doing holding these points. It's like Tony just showed me like, you know, he came and he did a treatment on the horse for an hour and just said, okay, well, then just keep doing this. But it's like this horse was showing me you've got to change direction. You've got to look at something different. Mm. Anyway, the thing is, well, the end result was that the horse got going really good and the horse got to where he loved being because that horse, when I would go to catch him, and I didn't use treats at all at that time, you know, and I, I do use them a bit now, but back then I didn't use treats and I wasn't the person doing the feeding for the horse. So the horse didn't, wasn't coming to me because it thought there was going to be food or treats or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I would go down there to catch that horse and the horse knew that I was, whenever I went there, I was going to work with it and, and ride it. He would walk up to the gate to meet me. Wow. And so that's how much that herd horse turned around from the, you know, don't ride me, don't ride me, to now he's walking from, you know, probably 500 metres or maybe further away down the bottom of the paddock that he was in to the gate. He would meet me there to go for a ride and just lead him up, sadly him up and go for a ride. So that was a major turning point, you know, so then I started to, to work and learn more with toning and that that's also what started showing me how much more physical things were going on in horses' bodies and why they didn't want to be ridden or why we had these behavioural problems which before would just be put down to, oh, well, they're a prey animal and they're designed to have opposition because you're a predator. and um, but also. So that, that just back then, you know, I was just thinking, well, I'm still working on the physical body and when you're holding these energy points, we just fixing the physical body. But through doing that, that took me into a deeper level of starting to sense the horses even more energetically and spiritually and emotionally. Pretty much every horse that came to me to get started up, but back, back then I was starting a lot of horses for people. They were all difficult horses and every one of them, if I didn't go in and just do this energy work that I learned from Tony, it wasn't going to happen. And as soon as I did, they'd start to change. So it's like they were all showing me, you've got to go in a new direction. <laughs> what you knew before is not going to work anymore. Wow. Before that, you know, I'd like had a lot of success and it's like, oh, everything's going good. And then all of a sudden all these horses came along and it's just like, no. This is not what this is not what you do anymore. Yeah, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. So anyway, that's evolved more and more and more. To now, you know, and this again, this has evolved mainly through working with Tony. That before, you know, think I well, I'm working on the horse's body and now it's the horse's emotions, the horse's spiritual stuff. And then it's like well, now the horse is actually showing me what's going on with me and what I've got to look at. Mm. <laughs> when he's, when he's, what are the behaviours that they display are showing us behaviours and emotions, things that they're picking up and feeling in us 
and they're mirroring that or it becomes, they pick up on that, that becomes part of them, which is why they have that anger or that resentment or that sadness or that guilt or whatever it is that's going on for them, which then starts to start locking up their bodies and it causes them physical issues or, you know, whether it goes as deep as the physical issue or whether it just stays at the more they've just got this behavioural issue because they don't want it to be more like, you know, don't do what you want. So, yeah, then it takes it back to looking at ourselves. Um, so that's sort of been my journey of horsemanship. I'm sure, it will continue to evolve. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's an amazing the amount of steps that you've taken, and it's all through just asking questions. You know, asking the right questions at the right time. So you learnt what you needed to, and you said, okay, now there's there's something more here. How do I get the answers to this? So when people come to you, that's a big concept for people to take in. So fair enough that I could, you know. I, I come along to a horse clinic to, you know, learn about connection with my horse and I learn the spiritual part and the biomechanics. Yes, that makes sense. And the physical issues restricting. And then when it gets to me having to deal with my own stuff um, in order for the horse to change, that's a, it's a really difficult thing for some humans to be able to do. For sure. Absolutely. Can you tell us a bit about, and, and it's the hardest one to believe um, as well. You know, it's really difficult as a human to really understand how much effect that we have on those people around us. That's a really, um, we see ourselves as separate so much and we seem separate and how could what I do really affect somebody else that much, especially another species. So have you got some stories or, or something that really pops out in your mind of to some somebody who's come to you and, and gone through these processes and the transformation they and their horse have had? Oh, I have a lot of stories, um, but it would be probably better to, to, to tell you a couple more stories about myself. Great. Um, and then I could tell you, like, so one of, one of my first experiences of realising what horses had a horse, um, still having. He had a lot of issues about going out into different environments, going home from his safe little comfort zone. And I was trying to just do things like build his confidence and, um, you know, not pushing through thresholds and use approach and retreat. And the thing was that the more I did this, it's like his thresholds, the distance he felt comfortable to go away from home, they started getting less and less and less. And it was like he was getting less and less confident. And I used to be able to ride this horse further away from home and, and, and do more than I, you know, could at that time. So anyway, I was thinking about this. This is not working, you know, what I'm doing is not working. And then I just thought, I know someone who ride this horse and he just, he wouldn't do that. I, I thought, this horse would just go. So then I thought, this is about me. This is not really about the horse. So I'm lying in bed early one morning, I'm thinking about this, and it's like, all of a sudden this statement came into me and I don't know how to explain it any other way. 
The statement was, I am going to be braver in the world. And when I say it came into me, because it wasn't like I just thought about, oh, maybe I should be braver in the world. It's like this statement came into me, like the energy of that. Mm. And um, so anyway, I, I got up. It's quite it was early in the morning. I got up and I went down and I called that particular horse and I saddled him up and I hopped on him and I started riding out the front gate or, you know, down the, you know, down the driveway to the front gate. And normally... Like it gotten that bad that normally I couldn't get to the front gate. Mm. Got to the front gate easy. And what would he do to show you that he wasn't willing to go any further? He would spin around mm-hmm. and he would, if he, if he got the chance, like if I wasn't quick enough to get him stopped and get him under control, he would turn around and bolt and buck home. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was a very big 17-hand wool-blood hook. Mm-hmm. It was very scary and it like I would be nervous every time I was going to ride him and just because I knew if I catch him, like get him bent and under control in that moment, you know, you've got like a fraction of a moment to catch him when that's going to happen and if you miss you got they're gone once mm-hmm. they get their power up. So it was pretty dangerous and scary. Yeah. So that that's what he would do, and he wouldn't give you a lot of warning before he did his spin around and buck and bolt home. He'd just be going along, and it was like he, everything was going okay, and then all of a sudden he'd just spin around. Yeah. So you only had that fraction of a moment to try and get things under control and keep yourself safe. So that morning I said I got on him and I walked and I got to the front gate, that was easy. And I went out the front gate and I started trotting down our road. And I reckon I trotted for nearly two kilometres and the horse was just trotting all fine. And then I had this thought, wow, that horse, he hasn't done anything yet. The exact moment as I had the thought, the horse did his little turnaround thing, but he, there was no intensity or emotion. It was like half-hearted. It, it actually made me laugh, whereas normally when he did it, it would bring up a lot of fear because, mm. um, like, I've just got to get him under control. But it made me laugh because he did the same thing. Like, I'm just turning around and I'm going home now. But like I said there was no emotion, there was no intensity. It was like a joke. Yeah. But it amazed me. It was the exact moment as I had that thought, wow, he hasn't done anything. And I was able to just turn him around and just keep trotting and I probably trotted him for another kilometre. So that was a pretty big lesson for me in showing me it was about me because something changed in me which caused that. There was no trains. There was no, I didn't change anything in the horse. I didn't do any techniques or build his concerts. Like this was... As soon as that statement, something changed in me energetically, emotionally, and I said, this statement came into me, I am going to be brave in the world. Again, it was about in the specific, it was in the world. It wasn't anything to do with be braver about riding this horse. Mm-hmm. When that changed in me, the horse changed. That horse was never as bad ever again. I'm not saying it was perfect because I'm still probably got, you know, stuff to work on to. Yeah, but the thing was, there was a 
a huge and instant shift. So that significantly started to show me how horses were mirroring or affecting or what was going on with us internally at that level of the mind and the emotions, our spirit, how that was affecting the horses. And as soon as we changed something in ourselves at that deeper level, some of these big major, like that was a major control danger issue, changed instantly. And how did that change you as well? How did you then, after understanding that, be braver in the world? Well, I guess I, I was. I guess I let go of some fear or anxiety that I was carrying. The thing is, a lot of times what the horse is showing us is in our subconscious mm-hmm. and we don't, we don't actually always know what's there. I can't say that I dramatically felt this big change in myself and all of a sudden I was a much braver, more confident, courageous person. But I'm sure that that, that has and evolved. A lot of times the things can feel subtle in us as they're changing. It might not feel as huge big thing yourself because I guess it's happening at such a deep, energetic level. Mm. And is that the time where you were able to then start talking about this a bit more? And t- starting to teach this a bit more to other people? I was already talking about the spiritual connection of, within the emotional level of horses, but it was years and years later that I actually really started to, to realise how much what was going on with us was affecting the horses, even though that happened, because that happened probably eight years ago maybe. Mm-hmm. I didn't really realise how big of a thing that was with the horsemanship. Like I just thought, oh, well, that's just something, you know, one-off thing for me. Down the track, as I saw more things happen, but then again it was what also was the confirmation of of that or took that understanding or made me really appreciate how much importance there is about what we're carrying, what's going on inside of us. It was again through Tony Robinson's work because as his work evolved, that's what he started to see more and more was the major priority um, in what was going on with horses and you know, how they interacted with people. So when he was talking about that, that's what I could really relate because, yes, I'd had that experience. Like, yeah, I had that experience. I know that that could be true. And then the horses were showing me that, didn't matter. I spent all of my life learning techniques, traveling around the world, learning from the best people I could find. But I got, and you know, I was good at techniques, and I can teach people techniques, and we do need to learn, you know, good riding techniques and all that stuff. It's not that that's totally not important, but it doesn't matter. You can know all the techniques in the world, but what the horses were showing me is there's a deeper level. When I say the horses, our way of being, who we are and how we are on the inside is more important than what we do with the techniques. And so, um, yeah, learning to go in and clear or find out what are, what are the horses trying to show us and they're trying to help us clear a lot of baggage and emotional stuff that we're holding on to, that blocking us and restricting us. And then... 
but that also restricts us at the physical level. So even in the perspective of, you know, I'm trying to help people to ride well with their bodies physically and have their own biomechanics right so then the horse can have the right biomechanics. Mm-hmm. Those emotions, those energies that we're holding on to, um, they lock up our physical body. So, you know, it's where it gets frustrating for people, you know, as you try and teach them because you're trying to say, well, you know, just let go here, just relax and you put your leg here and as much as they try, they can't do it because their body's so locked up. So when they can let go of things mentally and emotionally, energetically and at that spiritual level, their body frees up and lets go and then all of a sudden they can find their balance. They're not just holding on through fear and tension and then it's possible for them to do the techniques and then they have this quality of, of feel and balance and sensitivity and connection to the wall. So everything at all levels can change um, when we get to that, that deeper place of, of looking at what's going on inside ourselves. Mm, I'm really getting a sense for why you call your work connecting with horses and riding with synchronicity now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That deep level, you know, connecting with the horse, what's going on for the horse at a spiritual level, riding with synchronicity, you know, biomechanics, the physical, but then also looking at ourselves, you know, to get that that real connection and a clear connection as well. Yeah. I've always had a feeling um, with horses that I've always looked at them and I'm like, you know how to do everything. You know how to walk backwards, you know how to go sideways, you know how to do all these things. I just have to find the right way to ask that of you because I've never believed that it's about me having to teach the horse too much. It's like I need to find a clear mode of communication whereas I'm saying in a way that we're both on the same page. Yeah, and then just find out, you know, when the horse doesn't... um with a, well, basically, if the horse says no, so they, you know, we ask, you know, to do something, and the horse says no, why are they saying no? And, you know, is it because we're not using clear communication? But, you know, sometimes we can be. Like I said, I was good at all the techniques. My communication was clear. The horse knew what I wanted. Mm. But the horse is trying to show me something at a deeper level. It's like that's irrelevant, you know. It's like you already know how to drive. You already know all this. This is this is what we're trying to show people. This is a level of which. Mm, that's what I mean by clear communication. It's not about words. Yeah. It's about what what blocks have we put in the way, and and it's yeah. so lovely, you know. The, yeah. the spiritual, the biomechanic, yeah. the physical, all these things are in the way, and until we dig through all of those, um, yeah, you know, there's something blocking that word from getting there, and we can find a way. Yeah. Yeah, there is actually a yeah. way, and that—that's the really positive thing out of it, you know, that there is a way, and there's somebody like you out there teaching us this way. Yeah. So, Mel, can you summarise what it is that you do for horses and humans? I think of it, uh, horsemanship in four basic areas now. So the first, the first point is, what is the horse trying to tell me or show me about me? Um, and that can get the level of mental, emotional, spiritual, energetic or physical. Mm-hmm. Second point is what is going on for the horse. Again, it could be at all those levels, mental, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, energetically, physically, of why the horse 
doesn't or can't do what we want. Um, and that could be um, emotional things or memories or genetic inheritance from their parents or their genetic lines. The third point is what is going on in their body physically? Where are they restricted? Why are they restricted? Why can't they do as we ask? And that's when we're looking at, you know, things where they need physical body work or what needs to change in their diet or saddles or feet or teeth, equipment use, all, all that sort of thing. What is going on in their body also can take us back to the emotional levels and the other the first two questions because sometimes horses will show us by physically something going in their body, even things like getting colic. That's a way of or a horse getting found or laminitis. That's a way of the horse getting our attention to tell us or show us something. I've seen plenty of situations where horses have colic, I've had it happen in clinics. The person's riding around and the horse suddenly has colic and then we'll have a discussion about whatever and something comes up at an emotional level for the person and we acknowledge that, do some work to clear that and then the horse gets colic's better. Wow. So anyway, so sometimes at the physical level, you know, I've seen another horse have an issue with his hind leg with his you know, gets locked up in the stifle and is dragging his hind toe along and, again, that was a mirror of something that was happening in the person when that issue got fixed in the person. Not that you could physically see the person walking along like that, but when the person's issue uh, was resolved at an emotional level, the horse just stopped dragging his hind toe along. Mm. So, what, so three, what is going on in their body? But like I said, it... it can take us back to the other first two points. And we're also not saying don't fix your horse if they have a physical ailment and don't, you know, ignore vets and all of that. It's just look at it at a deeper level as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Our physical skills is number four. So our, our timing, uh, our communication skills. So basically learning the techniques of riding and ground skills is number four. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I would say my real, well, always has been, it's been my main area of expertise, so to speak. But what the horse have showed me now is that's got to be number four on the list because the other three things, it doesn't matter how good your skills are, if we don't, if we're not looking at the other three points, it's not going to work. And so that's where the horse is have taken me back and uh, looking at things at a deeper level. So I think that's an important perspective for people to look at. You know, when people and you, of course, they've got to learn techniques and, and practice things, but all of those techniques come easier and better and they learn them quicker when we're looking at those other levels of, of things. Mm. And so, Mel, for all of us today as horse owners, is there one thing that you can give us that we can all take to the paddocks now, next time we see our horse? What is there something relatively quick and easy, but, to, you know, that you can tell us now that we can do to help us connect with our horses on a different level? The, the first thing I start to teach people in the clinics is about centering, breathing and body skin. So... Centering is like taking your awareness down into your centre, so your lower abdominal area, your pelvic area, and which means you're getting out of your head, you're getting 
out of, you know, being caught up in all the emotions that we often get caught up in. And mm-hmm. breathing in a centred and expansive way, which means you see you take your awareness down into your centre. Then you breathe and expand your centre in all four directions on the in-breath. And when we breathe in that way, so expanding your belly, or I like to say expanding centre equally in all four directions on the in-breath, as opposed to sucking your belly in when you're breathing. It changes your nervous system. So when we expand our centre, expand our belly when we breathe in, it stimulates us to relax. Most people naturally breathe the opposite way because they're, um, they're running on adrenaline and cortisol and stress. So when we just change our breathing and we really slow our breathing down, so you know, ideally take like five to seven seconds on the in-breath and hold that breath for a few moments and then breathe out. And so you start to just calm yourself down, you start to get your mind still and your emotions still. And then it's like it starts if you be more present in your body and scan your body and just feel your body. So you're taking yourself into a state of presence and stillness mm-hmm. and through that breathing place of stillness is where you can start to connect with the horse more deeply because you've connected to yourself, your real self, your true self, not caught up in your head or caught up in your emotions. From there you can connect to the horse. And, you know, you could just ask the question to the horse, how are you feeling, what's going on for you? And that, that would be the start of being able to start sensing the horse and, and sensing your own true self and what's going on with you. Wonderful. So that would be the starting place. Yeah, that's great. Um, so we've all got a little bit of homework. I'm certainly going to go out and try that. <laughs> Once we get off this uh, this call, I'm going to go out and have a bit of a breathe and um, and see what it is they've got to say because I've always wondered. So it'll be it'll be nice to take that time to listen. Yeah, I think we've just got to all just keep looking at ourselves, working on ourselves, and you know, learning to listen to the horses, feel the horses. You know, people talk about horse whispering, but it's about listening and connecting, sensing. So, yeah, just what are they trying to show us? So, Mel, do you do one-on-one sessions with people or do you do workshops and then online coaching? How is it that you work with people? I mainly do clinics or courses. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my clinics or courses um, I co-teach with Tony, you know, when we can, when we've got the numbers to um, make a viable for both to, you know, teach together. Mm-hmm. In the clinics, people get a, well, because there's a lot of um, theory or simulations that we need to do, which are done much better in a group situation. Mm-hmm. Also, when we go in and um, people learn a lot from each each other's experiences and you know, with, with the horses, so when people go and just meditate or connect with their horses and, you know, that can be done a bit better in the group situation. And then when we do, Tony might lead people through clearing sessions so when they get a sense of, okay, this is what my horse is showing me, this is what I need to work on and, and they go and release the fear out of my body and then that can be done in a group situation. Um, so it's just more... I guess efficient, but it, it, it adds to the learning experience doing it that in a group situation. 
So mainly clinics. Mm-hmm. I do do some follow-up support like privately. So if people have done clinics so they've got the basic foundation of, of learning and the concepts, yeah, then we can do one-on-one things either online or in person just as a support to you know, what they learn and the structure. How do people find you? What is your website? Are you on social media? Yeah, my website is uh, melfleming.com.au. So M E L F L E M I N G. And I have a Facebook page um, connecting with horses, fighting with synchronicity. So, yeah, that's the best. Best ways to buy the website. Great. And on your website, there's a full list of your courses and your schedule for the year. Yeah, and there'll be more, some more courses to add, add in there. I travel all around Australia, so um, wherever people can get a group of people together. We keep the, the numbers in the clinics fairly small, like six to eight courses, um, just so that we can give people enough personal attention. Do you allow fence sitters for your courses? Definitely. So there's um, there's plenty of room for people to come along without their horse. We don't call them fence sitters because anyone that comes without their horse um, gets to participate in a lot of the course. Um, so all of the, mm-hmm. the healing meditations or the simulations or theory sessions, question and answer sessions. So people that come along without the horse actually get huge, huge value. You know, they actually participate in not just observing or sitting on the fence. So, yeah. Spectating. Um, so, yeah, there's a huge amount of money to be had by coming without your horse. Fantastic. Well, Mel, I must say it's so enlightening to speak to somebody like you. It's such a depth that you go to with horses and humans and it takes an enormous amount of courage to do those kinds of things with people and with horses. You know, my background is in equine assisted therapy and it's it's brave. What you do is brave and I love that you're doing it and I think the horses do too. I get a feeling that the horses are doing a big sigh of relief when it is that um, they're owners and and humans get to you so we can really get to that deep level with horses i think we're scratching the surface of the type of work that you do we're all um desperate for this deep connection with horses and this is a really practical evidence-based you know you've you've spent a lot of years doing this kind of thing and learning the levels as you go along and you're able to get to this incredible depth and get that real connection that we would all love with our horses. You know, I don't know anyone that wouldn't love their any horse coming straight up to them at the fence saying, can we please do work today? I really want to be with you. Um, I think that is the pinnacle of all horse people. And I love that horses are doing that with you. Yeah, that's certainly a great feeling when your horse comes up and <laughs> wants to participate and offers things. Yeah, I really think it is, like I said, the pinnacle. I don't think there's anything better than a horse Mm. saying, I want to be with you and even more so, I want to work with you and I love what you're doing with me and I I love that you're able to do this. So thank you so much for everything that you do with horses and thank you for your time today. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Mm. 
Milk sure leaves you with a few things to consider the next time you approach your horse, doesn't she? She's the kind of person who leaves no stone unturned and is the ultimate coach in personal responsibility for our own actions and how they affect those around us. You'll find links to Mel's website and social media in the show notes and also on the blog of my website at comealongfortheride.com.au. Mel tours Australia and I'm sure she'd tour the world if the interest was there. She also holds intensives at her home in Moonbye, New South Wales. So check her out and see when she's coming to a town near you. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps us climb up the rankings and will help to get the message out there. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. You can also share us on your social media. Tell all your friends about us and ask them to join us on our mission as well. You will find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along For The Ride.